You're listening to a message from Ogden Church, a gospel-centered ministry for all people. We hope during the next few minutes you gain a better understanding of God's love expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. We're glad you're here with us this morning on this beautiful day. It's beautiful outside. It's incredible. We live in Michigan, and it's great. We've been looking at the I am statements that he makes in the Gospel of John. And we've talked over the past several weeks about how each of these statements is a reflection of a conversation that Moses has with a burning bush where Moses is like, who should I tell Pharaoh sent me to talk to him? And and God says, tell him, I am sent you. This happens thousands of years before. And and Jesus in the Gospel of John is saying, I am am all of these things, pointing us to the fact that he is the perfect representation of God on this earth. So incredible to see all of the ways in which the Bible and Jesus speak to our needs now. I've heard a lot of people say, well, the Bible's an ancient book. It applied to people who lived thousands of years ago. It doesn't apply to us. All of our needs and desires, these are much the same. Because we're all humans. No matter where you live, what time period you live in, God in Scripture speaks to you, to your desires. One of the things that's interesting about our culture and the desire we have right now is to never die. We don't want to die. We don't want to think about death. We find ourselves in a place where we spend $14 billion a year on anti-aging products. Another $16 billion is spent on cosmetic surgery. We, we want to look like we're younger than we are. We don't want to think about our life eventually ending. And so we find ourselves sort of worshiping this culture of beauty and looking young and looking a certain way because we don't ever want to think that things might end here. So much so, even like the idea of the book series like Twilight, I don't know if you've seen this, about vampires that like never die. We go watch movies like this because we're hoping that we can somehow rise above the reality of death and we find ourselves in the unfortunate situation that all of us are mortal people, every single person. We must deal with what happens next. So we have this desire of not thinking about or dealing with the idea of death. And the good news for us is that Jesus satisfies our deepest desires. All of our deepest desires, Jesus satisfies. I have a slide for that. It's going to come up here in just a second. It's cool. It takes a little bit. There it is. It said Jesus. It's a delay. Jesus satisfies our deepest desires. And we're going to see in our passage that Jesus offers us answers. He answers the questions that we ask. Empathy and revelation. Jesus gives us these three things in this passage. And we're going to see a story where Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus, a friend of his. There's Mary and Martha are a part of the story. And he comes in after Lazarus has been dead for four days. 
And what they would do in this culture is they would try to, to avoid decay of the body. They would try to bury it just as quickly as possible. So sometimes somebody would be perceived to be dead, but not actually dead. And so they would come back to life, so to speak. But at this point, four days in a tomb, you can't last that long, even if you're alive. So they know for sure that this guy is dead dead. Not kind of dead, he's for real dead. And so Jesus is coming back. John chapter 11, we're going to see in a couple of chunks here how he gives us answers, empathy, and revelation. We see answers in verses 17 through 26. It says, On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said, to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. It's going to happen. I know it. It's going to happen in the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She runs out. She sees Jesus. She knows how powerful he is. Her immediate response, like many of us, would be disappointment that he wasn't there to keep her brother. He's like, if you had just been here, he wouldn't have died. This incredible expression of disappointment, sadness, frustration, but at the same time, she has incredible faith to say, but even now, God, I know, Jesus, that whatever you ask... God will give you. He's like, your brother will rise again, Jesus says. He's going to rise again. She's like, yes, I know. Someday he will rise again. He's going to at some point. I know that, Jesus. And then Jesus says, I am the resurrection. So we find ourselves in the very same position, many of us, as believers, we think, well, one day everything will be okay. One day the dead will rise and life will be given to those who are falling apart because of sin. Longing for something that will be. Just like Martha. Jesus says, what you desire then, I am for you right now. I am that thing that you have been looking for, that hope, that peace, that joy that you think one day will happen. I am that for you right now. And so many of us miss the glory and beauty of God because we're longing for something to happen in the future that he can bring right into your present. Right now, you can have that peace. You can have that joy that we all desire and long for. He says, I am that. A couple of few years ago when the church was going through some extreme marital struggles and 
they were separated and one of the couple was sort of on their way looking for like, I, I'm just really desiring for something different and went to some counseling and the counselor had this person write down a list of how they wanted to be loved. And they wrote down this long list and at the end of it, looked at the list and said, I, I think I already have somebody who loves me like that. And went home and reconciled their marriage together. To be able to say, look, I, I thought I wanted something, and then when I really looked at what I wanted, I had it the whole time. This is exactly what happens here. She's like, well, one day, one day he'll raise from the dead and, and it'll be fine then. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection that you're looking for. We miss the forest through the trees. We're looking right at it and we miss all of the glory of who God is right in front of us. When I was in seminary, I had a professor who said, you know, it, if I get to heaven, he was a Christian and then he was, or not, this was at Adrian College. So I'm in the religion program, and I had an atheist professor, which might strike you as odd. It was. And so we're sitting there, and he used to be a pastor, and he walked away from his faith, and he said, look, heaven just isn't heaven if my family's not there. And I remember as like a 19-year-old, I was like, that's a good point. How is heaven heaven if my family isn't there? But the thing that he missed, and I missed at that point that God is showing me now, is that every little piece of joy that you experience in any part of life is a simple shred, a shadow of the joy that Jesus will fully satisfy in us himself. So when we're in heaven, we don't think to ourselves, like, is there chocolate here someplace? Where's my grandpa? No, none of those things. We just think, look, God, you are everything. You're satisfying me so much more than anything in this world could ever have done. Jesus says, you're waiting for the resurrection? I am the resurrection. All of those things, every desire that you could ever want or have can be completely found in him. Not just then. But right now, see, we, it doesn't matter what it is. Jesus fully satisfies that thing in us. You see, she comes out. She's like, if you had been here, uh, he wouldn't have died. But I know, God, extreme doubt and faith existing at the exact same time. Jesus says, I, I am. Not, not just then. I'm the resurrection now. I'm your hope. He gives her an answer, which is him, a personal answer. Then he gets the same question a second time, and he responds very differently. He offers empathy. First an answer, and then empathy. Verse 27, Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing her that 
supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? She comes out to meet Jesus. And she says the exact same question without the second half. She says, if you, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Everyone's weeping and mourning and wailing. This was the custom. Mourning would have gone on for weeks. And then we see a really unique part of this passage. It says that Jesus saw them weeping, and he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. This, in the original language, is sort of a phrase that describes a horse that's in discomfort that shoots breath out of its nostrils. Like so upset that just breath shoots out. Jesus is angry and disturbed and troubled in spirit. Why? I'm sure it's certainly true that he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. I'm, I'm sure he loved them. But what is disturbing his spirit? The concept of death is disturbing to God. The way we were created, the way this world was made, death was not a part of that. That's not God's plan. This is coming into the world as a result of brokenness and sin and us turning our back on God. Jesus says, hey, if, if you're going to eat that fruit, you will surely die. And Jesus sees the brokenness. He sees that they're struggling with faith. How, God, if you had been here, like, man, maybe if you had just showed up a couple days earlier, like his schedule got booked and he didn't, he didn't know what was going to happen. Jesus is always where he's supposed to be. He knows what he's doing. Shows up on time every time. And he shows up. If you had only been here. And he enters into their pain and he weeps with them. Because as broken as they are over death, he is broken over it too. He hates death and sin and disease and brokenness. He sees it, he weeps, and he offers empathy. And sometimes what we need is people isn't someone to give us an answer. We need someone to cry with us to weep and grieve. When I was in Chicago as a youth pastor, I worked with a guy whose mom had also passed away like my mom just a few years before. And there was 
a, a connection between the two of us because we were grieving over the same thing. We, we knew the pain that each other was experiencing. And this is the beauty of the church and what God himself offers us, not as a God who's distant and far away and saying, oh, well, your, your problems are down there, but someone who enters in and weeps with us in our brokenness. Sometimes we need empathy, not just an answer. I don't know if you've had this experience or, or maybe it's just me, but early on in our marriage, I found out that when my wife shares a problem with me, she doesn't always want me to just fix it. I don't know if you've had that experience, but she'll share with me. She'll be like, hey, I'm really upset about this thing. And then my gut reaction for a long time was like, I'm going to do this and make it better and solve the problem. That's not what she wanted. She just wanted me to say, I love you. It's going to be okay. But as a man, that is so far against all of the things that happen inside my brain. I was like, I need to solve this problem. I need to step into this and tell you exactly what needs to happen. She's like, just listen to me. And you know what? Once I started to learn that lesson a little bit, and I'm not perfect yet, I'll say that. It is powerful to enter someone's pain with them. I'm still learning this lesson. Sometimes I give directives when I should just be listening. And crying with someone is sometimes the best medicine. Jesus, same question. Two different people responds a different way. Why? Jesus knows you. He knows the things that you need. So he approaches you in a way that is appropriate for you. He offers answers to the first question. He gives empathy and weeps with the second. And then he tells us what his true purpose is. What our purpose is. He speaks to our greatest desire. He offers answers up front. Empathy, and then we see revelation. Revelation of God. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor, for he's been in there four days. It's stinky, Jesus. Don't, don't open it. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with stripes of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus walks up to the grave. There's a man who's been dead four days. They remove the stone and he says, Lazarus, 
come out. The voice of Jesus, the power of Jesus on display, conquering death as he steps out. And she asks, don't, don't do this. Don't, don't open it up. It's not going to be good. Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. The purpose of Jesus is to put the glory of God on display so that the whole world can see how glorious and amazing God is. The purpose of the death of Lazarus was to put on display the glory of God. There's another time when Jesus is going to heal somebody that's been, they've been an invalid since birth and they've had this struggle, this brokenness and People come up to Jesus and they say, well, who sinned that it caused this this man to be like this? And Jesus says it wasn't his parents or him. He was like this so that the glory of God could be put on display. We go round and round and we wrestle with, oh, is it my fault? Did I do this? Did, Did something else happen? God is at work in and through the brokenness that we caused. He shows the glory of himself through those things. And he gives us glimpses. Look at that prayer. He's praying out to God. Like Jesus could pray to God without everybody hearing it. He could do that. But he says it out loud and then he tells us why. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Incredible glory on display and us given these clues through what Jesus does all the way along the way so that God can get the incredible glory. The Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is glorifying God and enjoying him forever. To see this glory that's all around us all the time. To recognize how amazing he is. One of the books that I love to read is the original Sherlock Holmes series by Arthur Conan Doyle. He uh, is an incredible author. Many sort of TV series have been made out of uh, Sherlock Holmes and even something like Psych or The Mentalist. These are shows that are all in that same vein with a sort of detective type person that sees things that other people don't see. And one of the things that you'll notice in these shows is they, they highlight minute little facts early on, and if you're paying close attention, you can pick them up, but then at the end, you're like, wow, that person saw all those things, and all of those little clues all the way along are to show you, wow, this person is incredible. And when you're reading Sherlock Holmes, there's like a sentence or two, and you're like, oh man, maybe there's something there. Maybe he'll pick up something there. Then he catches the bad guy, and you're like, wow, Sherlock Holmes is amazing. And in the same way, What Jesus is doing for us is showing us little glimpses of he calmed the storm. He changed water into wine. He fed 5,000 people. He healed the blind man. He made the dead walk. Why? All to say, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God, revealing the glorification of God in and through us as we look around and you see a sunset, you see a child laugh, you see sorrow turn to joy, you start to understand that all of the things that I've desired, all of my deepest desires are satisfied in Jesus Christ.
One of the things that I'll hear from people from time to time is, well, if I was there, if I was at the tomb, then I'd believe in God because I would have seen a dead person stand up and walk out after what Jesus said. I I would believe that he had power, that he was the son of God. I would submit my life to him. Jesus is doing miracles every single day if we would open our eyes to see them. Last, last week, we celebrated baptism together. And when we baptize people, we say, you've been dead and buried with Christ. You're raised again to new life. One of those people that was baptized had a history of addiction and brokenness and divorce and ruined relationships in the wake of his life. He said, Brandon, I've been clean for a couple of years now, and I have seen Jesus bring life in me where there was death. And in the same way, all of us are walking around dead people in the tomb until Jesus walks up and says, come out. Live again. You can find new life in me. I am the thing you've been looking for. I am the resurrection. You don't have to live into death any longer or be afraid of one day dying in this mortal body because I offer you something so much better. Desire. Satisfied in Christ. That that gentleman that was baptized, he was dead. Then he was alive. This is the mission of Christ. And when those things happen, it puts the glory of God on display. What are your deepest desires? What are the things that you find yourself looking for or wanting in life? The only thing The only thing that will speak to all of what you want is Christ himself. C.S. Lewis said, If I find in myself a desire that this world cannot satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Jesus made the world perfect. God made everything just right. Now it's broken, and we long to get back. He is the hope of restoration, and only he will satisfy. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we reflect on who you are, what you've done, that you would show your glory to us, that we would catch a glimpse. And like Moses coming down off the mountain, people would just see a reflection of your glory and not be able to look because of how amazing you are, God. Father, I pray that if there are people that feel like they're stuck in in the grave, if they feel like I'm just, I can't get out of this darkness, that they would know that you are the resurrection. You can breathe life where this world brought death. You've washed our sin 
clean so that we can sing the resurrected king is resurrecting me. God, may your glory be on display here. We praise you for what you have done and what you will do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. Please join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 or 11 a.m. If you'd like any more information about Ogden Church, just visit our website at ogdenchurch.org or Facebook.